You need a well-rounded game to succeed in golf. And the same goes for your finances. That's why we love SoFi, the all-in-one app that lets you bank, borrow, and invest. Download the SoFi app today to ace your finances. SoFi, get your money right. Banking products and loans offered by SoFi Bank N.A. NMLS 696891. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC. Member FINRA slash SIPC. Hey guys, it's Michelle. And Hallie. This is golf. Mostly. Woohoo. Today we're having CEO and founder of Ellie Golf, Reed Dickens. Very excited for Reed. He's honestly one of my favorite people on this planet. I, I love him. He's just his story is incredible. How he got to the White House. He was the press secretary while literally our nation was going through the wildest of times. It's crazy. And now he, you know, was in, in golf, but before he's revolutionized the batting bats industry. The bats? bats the baseball the bats? Ba- baseball bats the industry. baseball bat industry. With um, Ruchi Sports, which we'll hear more about. But first off, Hallie, how are you? Um, I'm okay. You had a I'm tough, a little... <laughs> had a little tough ride over here. A little here. rattled. A little rattled. Uh, yeah, how was your drive? I got, I got pulled over, Michelle. I got pulled over. I haven't been pulled. can't remember the last time I've been pulled over. I don't, think I, I don't know if I've ever been pulled over, honestly. Really? I don't think so. What were you pulled over for? I was pulled over for talking on the phone. So you're like talking through it. So you're holding the phone? I was. It was in my hand on speaker. And I should have just had it connected to my Bluetooth and talked. But for some reason, the Bluetooth was acting up. So I'm blaming this on you, Tesla. <laughs> And so I put this phone on speaker talking to my great aunt who is 98 years old and lives in England. And I'm going to go visit her in a couple weeks. So I was just talking to her for a second and I was trying to get here because I didn't want to be late. And then all of a sudden this man is on the street and he's pointing at me and then pointing behind me. And I'm like, what, what? And I looked around, I took turn around I looked in the rearview mirror and there was a cop on a uh, bike just using his little lights at me. And I was like, oh. Okay, so they pulled over. Pulled me over. Did you, you, like, use some tears immediately? I tried. I just didn't. I I tried. I got to work on my acting skills. So I went with, this is not true. I said my dying aunt. She's not dying. I was like, I was like, sir, I'm so sorry. I was talking to my dying aunt on the phone. And he, and I was, he's like, well, then why didn't you pull over? And I was like, well, because I am trying to get to a, what I should have said, trying to get to a podcast recording. I said, I'm trying to get to a meeting. So he said, well, it must not be that important then. I was like, okay, I'm lying to you about my aunt dying, but how dare you? Okay. (laughs) How dare you? Yeah, so then he gave me a ticket, but it didn't say how much the ticket is for on it. Oh, boy. What does it say? It said, it said something about, like, appearing in court or something. Oh, gosh. So, Where is court? I don't know. I, I, I was so frazzled. I just looked at it, and I was trying to see how much it cost, oh and I just put it in my glove box. And, uh, yeah, I was not a fan of him. But Well, don't text and drive, obviously, but don't talk on the phone and drive, or if you are going to... Put it on your Bluetooth or speaker or something. Do not hold your cell phone for the love of all things holy because it's dangerous. Yes, I shouldn't have done it. And I learned my lesson and I won't do it again. But yeah, that's that was but why. That cop was mean. He was mean. I was like, how dare you say that talking to my aunt that's not really dying isn't important 
Yeah, I mean, if my aunt was really dying, yes, I would have pulled over, obviously. So maybe that's where, maybe that's where my story didn't add oh, up. Maybe. He's like, if your aunt's like, dying, you should probably not be going to a meeting. True. <laughs> true, probably. No, true. There was, there was crack. There was yeah, holes. there were some crack. There was holes in your story. Souls in my story there. Now it's all, as I play it back, I'm like. I mean, you know, he's probably, you know, the thing is, he's probably heard this so many times. He's like, ah, likely oh. story, dying aunt. We get that one multiple times a day. <laughs> I remember I got pulled over once, um, and I was heading to practice. It was in college. I remember oh. I was driving in from the city. I was driving down to Palo Alto. I don't know why. Oh, I was at a, a field trip. I was at a field trip at a museum, and I was driving to Palo Alto to go practice, and I was speeding. So I just, you know, it was, it was getting late in the afternoon, and I was running out of daylight. Cop, cop pulls me over. I'm driving my Kia Soul. Mm. At that time, I'm sponsored by Kia. <laughs> that thing has some zip. <laughs> has some zip, I'm telling you. And I got pulled over and the guy's like, you know, you're speeding. I'm like, oh yeah, I know I was. And he's like, he's like, why are you speeding? He's like, I really am late to golf practice. <laughs> and he's like, you know what? I thought he'd be driving a Bentley. I'm like, <laughs> I like my Kia Soul. Wait, but didn't you say the other day that your first car ever was a Jaguar? <laughs> Anyway, it's very embarrassing. I don't. The car, first car I ever bought though was an X Five, and I still have it. You still? Where is yeah, it? Yeah, it's in Hawaii. Oh, okay. Yeah, that car and I have been through a lot. If, okay, so let's talk about if you were a car, not the car that you'd want to own, but what car would you be like if you came if you oh. were if you were a vehicle? I'm very interested to what the segue is to back to read after this, but yes. this is a very interesting question. I'll I'll play along. If I was Thank a you. car, I would be. You know, I really like my Tesla X right now that I have. You think you're te- Oh, so that's like the mean girl thing. Oh, so you think you're pretty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you, think I you're think a, you think you're a Tesla X. I, was, I think I want to be sustainable. Okay. But still like not compromise and still be <laughs> fast. And I'd like to think I'm somewhat smart. <laughs> okay. Sure. Well, okay. We'll let you be a Tesla X then. Thank you. But X plaid. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Tesla X Plaid. Michelle is a Tesla X Plaid, allegedly. Um, let's see. See, because I admire my boyfriend, Billy. I asked him this question. I've, it sounds like I do this question, this game all the time. But I asked him this question, and I was like, wow, that's really honest. Because he drives a black Tesla, and it's very sharp. He doesn't want to be a Tesla. Well, I asked him. I was like, and I, I was being honest. Like, I was like, he's cool. He's smart. He's sleek. I was like, would you be this Tesla? And he's like, Honestly, I'm more of a Subaru. Like, I'm a reliable Aww. dude. I'm, you know, not too flashy. I'll be there when you need me. And I was like, you're my Subaru. <laughs> my Subaru. <laughs> Remind me to ask that question to Johnny today. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll definitely have to ask Johnny that question when we have them on in a special couples therapy episode. And then we'll also have to just give Billy another shot. Maybe he wants to change his answer, but I think he'll probably stick with a Subaru. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah. But what would I be? Oh, wait, you know, I remember my answer. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> my answer. I said I'm a like a yellow Hummer. <laughs> if I'm honest, I'm like, I'm a little out there and extra. I'm, I'm not really necessary. <laughs> I think you're necessary. Am I, though? Yeah. Yes. I'm like, I'm like, I'm just a little bit much sometimes. Like, you really don't need that much. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's kind of mean okay. to say to myself. Um, no, I don't. You know what? 
You be you. You be unique. I'm a yellow hummer, yellow damn it. Hummer. They don't make them like me anymore. They don't. They don't. It's I mean, true. I'm a, that I'm a real gas guzzler. Band? <laughs> <laughs> that also checks out. Yeah. But anyways, Reed Dickens. What kind of car would he be? What is it? I don't know. Something that goes fast. Something that goes fast. Very fast. Very fast. And Doesn't different. take no for an answer. No. No. Something that is disruptive disruptive for sure maybe like i've never really heard of it like something that i think like may you know piss some people off because mm-hmm. of how disruptive it is but i think if you really get to know it like a flying car yeah like that- they don't even make they don't have the the rest of the world needs to just catch up yeah, honestly exactly. like it's not even legal to drive you yeah, just kind of like drive it around in I a field it, yeah. okay reed is definitely a flying yeah. car michelle how did you meet reed how did I meet Reed? It was actually through Amanda Balionis, actually. Mm. Um, she told me about this guy that was disrupting the game of golf, which, you know, I'm all for. Um, and she was telling me about these shafts. Um, and at that point, I was still using um, steel shafts. I had toyed around with graphite shafts when I was pregnant, but I just, like, never felt right. You know, I never felt like I can get, like, the stiffness right and the weight correctly. Um so I met with him. I talked with him. Um, you know, obviously the first time we talked, you know, it, it just like, it was a lot, you know? And then he was like, hey, let's just at the, you know, products of talking, he sent me some shafts. And I was, my mind was like literally blown away. I'm like, my hands hurt literally way less. Um, I don't feel vibration. Um, I just, as soon as hitting it, I was like, this is like stiff enough for me, but light enough. I could never find that, those two combinations together. Mm. When I was younger, I used to play like dynamic gold S400s and X100s. And because my swing speed, I needed that. But my body literally couldn't keep up with it. I just, I think it just caused myself to have arthritis going down Mm -hmm. the line because, you know, I would just play golf clubs that were too heavy for me. Um, You know, so obviously I loved the product, got to meet him, um, loved hearing his story. And, you know, obviously could see how much player input was in every single one of the products. And, I was like, I'm in. Um, and he was really interested in changing the women's game, changing the you know, sponsorship landscape um, on the LPGA. And that was a big, big one for me. So decided to join the board, um, became an investor. And yeah. Now he sponsors our podcast. Now he sponsors our <laughs> podcast. But seriously, Reed is, I you know, haven't worked with him in a golf club capacity. I've only you know worked with him on this podcast stuff. And then, but I actually met him through Amanda Balionis as well. I met him at her wedding, I believe on the dance floor. And I just remember having me and Billy actually just having this really long conversation with him screaming over the music, but uh, he's just such a fascinating guy. And we're not really going to get into deep really at all into his political history. And when he used to work with George W. Bush, we're going to focus more on uh, the Marucci sports baseball thing. And then how that playbook sort of transferred into LA golf. But seriously, one of the most interesting guys. So obviously want you guys to listen to this interview, but he's done some other interesting podcast interviews and that you guys can check out if you want to learn more about Reed. Wait, Hallie, before we introduce Reed, literally the sponsor of our podcast. Oh, we have to do the, we have to do the sponsor Reed. <laughs> sponsor Reed before Reed. Yeah. Duh. Let's just take a second to thank LA Golf for sponsoring golf mostly. Thank you, LA Golf. Thank you. What is LA Golf? What is it? Well, short answer is they partner with the best players to make the most technologically advanced shafts and putters ever made. But first, 
Let's start with the fact that LA Golf truly partners with players. DJ, Bryson, and I all invested and joined the board. LA Golf is the only American-made shafts and have proprietary design structure and anti-vibration material to make them stiffer without being heavier and still feel buttery soft. One club fitter said that the driver shafts are adding 12 to 14 yards of carry on average nationwide. Then, this year, LA Golf launched the first ever carbon putter with a 50% larger sweet spot. The stiffest shaft in the industry and descending loft face technology that allows your ball to roll more quickly off the face instead of skipping and skidding like people have promised that it should. <laughs> Personally, having dealt with injuries my whole life, the shafts not only improve my ball flight, but allow me to swing without pain. And the first time I ever tried the putter, my mind was blown. I remember calling Reed and telling him, the break is cut in half because of how true it rolls. And I want you all to go to lagolf.co and feel for yourself. Now introducing CEO and founder of LA Golf, Reed Dickens. Good morning. Reed, give it up. We got a huge live audience. Woo! Reed, what a great way to start our Golf's day. the only sport that you can't be an affirmation addict. Really? Why do you say that? It's just not a lot of, like when you play, most of the time there's no one cheering. It's just like a light yeah. clap. A light, okay, light golf clap <laughs> if, for Reed, If everybody. anyone. Yeah. <laughs> when I play, there's no one. That's true. I have to ask who I'm playing with for affirmation. Yeah. <laughs> We play in a lot of money games, right? We do. It's like, I, I felt like I went against you in putting and you're mentally unbreakable. I like, well, I always say I would rather partner with someone who gambles and plays tournament golf than someone who's a zero handicap. That is, oh. that is very true. Because I don't ever pick up a putt. Most guys say, oh, that's good from three and a half feet. I'm like, when is that ever good? <laughs> my, my group would never give me that putt. I putt out every... Like, I love that. I retired, so I don't have to hit three and a half footers anymore. <laughs> <laughs> too stressful. Too stressful. Well, Reed, I feel like we could honestly do a whole entire episode on your background and everything you've been through and accomplished, but we only have 45 minutes with you, so we're going to go. fast forward a little bit uh, past your days in the White House to when you got into baseball, because this isn't your fir first rodeo, being an entrepreneur, launching a big sports brand. Um, talk to us a little bit about Marucci sports and then you know, that playbook and then how you're just sort of using that same playbook now with LA golf. Yeah. I'm not very original. Um, so yeah, we, there was a, there was an interesting kind of Malcolm Gladwellian, uh, component to our timing to the market. I think market dynamic is an overlooked aspect of disruption and success. But Marucci, I had, uh, my co-founder Kurt Ainsworth, he's still the, still the CEO. Um, Kurt had a, the hardest wood, uh, maple. No one had used maple wood. No one had really innovated baseball bats in decades. Uh, professionally, Louisville Slugger had been the number one bat for 118 years, um, so there hadn't been a lot of disruption in the marketplace. Uh, we had uh, some Amish maple wood that was harder than ash, made the ball go faster, uh, farther. Uh, pretty simple concept. Uh, our wood was harder, and that was our slogan. And we uh, really <laughs> took over the whole took over the whole big leagues. Um, with that story that we had harder wood and then we uh, got a bunch of big leaguers to invest in the company and they made videos making fun of Easton and Louisville Slugger and we became the number one really number one now in every category uh, from major league down to little league so it was a it was a fun ride it was a wild ride it was a messy ride I made lots of mistakes um, we were young we were rambunctious a lot of times we were rambunctious just for the sake of being rambunctious uh, which I'm probably different approach now but the general playbook you read is the same partnering with players disrupt a tool of the trade that the players actually use in on the field and then try to build a scarcity exclusive brand 
so how do those sort of three components that you just mentioned, can you kind of put that in uh, terms of LA golf? Yeah, it's, I mean, the first thing, I think the only difference is that instead of partnering with 44 players, we chose just a few. We had a lot of armchair quarterbacks on the baseball world, so I learned from that. So we partnered with Dustin and Bryson and Michelle, just a few players. And it's incredible how much guidance and feedback and advice you get from those players. We also innovated a tool of the trade. Uh, we call it tool of the trades because it's how you make your living. The players make their living. The shaft is the engine and the transmission of the golf swing. And Yet no major brand makes a shaft, and really no one has ever innovated shafts. They've been machine-made and rolled like an ice cream cone for d decades and decades. So we started with the shaft. It was blew my mind that no one had ever really innovated shafts. We made a demonstrably better product, and with the th thanks to Bryson. Bryson had some design structure ideas, and then we also, there's been huge advancements in material sciences, and no one had taken advantage of those. So we started with the shaft and then the putter, and, and that, so that's the playbook. We partnered with the best players in the game, innovated the tool of the trade, something that actually, how they make their living, and then we've tried to do strategic things to make our brand scarce and cool. I mean, I feel like in baseball, like harder wood just really makes sense. Ball goes faster, you know, all that. In golf, I know in my mind, I know technology, graphite is better. Why do you think people still have, um, you know, a tendency to think that steel shafts are better? Can you explain the difference between graphite and steel? Yeah, because most people think, oh, if you're a better player, steel shafts is the because way to they're go. they're firmer, right? right? Heavier, and, like, that's the way to go. So can you just, like, explain to us a little bit how graphite's better? It blows my mind um, because in every other area of life, cars, engines, People are so technical and, and, and progressive in their thinking. Um, steel shafts were the better option 15 years ago. Um, if you look at every industry, material sciences have advanced exponentially. Like it's, I think one scientist calls it exponential, exponential acceleration of technology, right? AI, quantum mathematics, material sciences. Um, so used to, if you went stiffer, it got heavier. Used to, if you added distance, you got less accurate. Now, uh, because of our unique midsection design structure and material sciences, we made a stiffer shaft that's lighter. Um, we added distance and actually decreased dispersion. Those are two things that golf engineers always said weren't true. So let me get, tell you the one main thing that I think people don't understand. It blows my mind when I see JT and Jordan Spieth and like some of the best golfers in the world using steel shafts that were designed in 1990. It, it's mind-blowing, and I think there's a psychological component. Golf is kind of a more arrogant sport, right? There's a lot of emphatic rich guys and club pros that are just repeating what they've been told for years. Um, but the club face gets delivered differently every swing with a steel shaft. It, 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 you can't manipulate the stability of the shaft from top to bottom. It's just there's a certain EI curve and swing, and swing um, you know, to the shaft. Um, if you take, put our graphite shaft on a robot and you do 107 irons on a piece of tape the ball, on a robot, the ball will be hit in the same pl place on the face. The club face gets delivered the same every swing. Well, in a game where fractional misses is the difference between striping one and hitting it in the trees, why would you want instability in your club head? And so, it, to be totally honest, it's 20-year outdated conventional wisdom, and yet the best players in the world still use steel shafts. It doesn't make sense. I, I had an ad in Golf Magazine where I said, you know, if your friends tell you that your steel shafts are better, not only do you need new shafts, you need new friends. <laughs> <laughs> I do love the, the LA Golf ads. We're going to get into that in a little bit. Um, you touch lightly on like the culture of golf and with, you know, the old guys that are, you know, like to keep things the way that they were. And you took over the baseball 
bat industry so quickly. How has the reception been for, you know, LA golf and golf and have there, or I'm sure there have been like naysayers. And then once they try the product, they're like, Oh shit. Yeah. You know what? It is. It's much harder. The inertia of change is much more difficult in golf. Uh, I think there's, I I joke a lot about ERGs, emphatic rich guys, uh, because you've got kind of privileged young white guys that have been raised by kind of arrogant, rich, older golf guys, and they kind of have a way of thinking, and they don't really follow material sciences, and they don't, you know, it's kind of an interesting dynamic, right, socially. In baseball, though, we had a similar dynamic. Derek Jeter and some of the old guys would say, wood doesn't matter, I can hit with a broomstick, which is like the dumbest thing you could, if you hit baseballs for a living, that's the dumbest thing you could possibly say, but a lot of the older guys said that. So we went after the high school 9 to 14-year-old top 100 team travel teams, um, the high school top 100 All-Americans, and by our third year, we had 80 of the top 100 high school All-Americans. So six, seven years later, most of those guys were in the big leagues, and it flipped pretty fast. In golf, uh, we're doing the same thing. We're going after, if you, if you, when Bryson changed a 48-inch driver shaft, I talked to high school coaches who said every kid on their team wanted a 48-inch shaft, right? Single-length irons are the number one selling iron. So young players do adapt and absorb data faster. I think in golf, there's just a lot of successful guys who have a and change is hard right if you've if you've putted 20,000 times with a certain acoustic certain feels certain you know look right it's it's hard to change right so so going after the younger players I think the the steel versus graphite I think is going to flip from 80 20 to you know 80 percent graphite I think it'll just take longer I remember when titanium drivers came out I a pro that I knew said I will never first of all you look like a clown second of all I can't get used to how big the thing is where I'm never going to give up my wood woods well think how stupid that sounds that was in 1995 right so I think in golf it just takes longer mm-hmm. have you ever hit um wood drivers Hallie uh, I, I have, but you know, as a left-hander, there's not a ton oh. of like wood drivers laying around. <laughs> so, I forgot about that small detail. So everybody's like, try, let's play with like vintage golf clubs. That's and I'm funny. like, you got any lefty? And then it's like, oh, never mind. That's funny. So I don't really have the luxury of being able to try that stuff. <laughs> I forgot about um, that. Never, yeah. Yeah, that's... But more and more equipment have been made for us left-handers over the good, years. Good. Reed, you talk about this like this term disruption a lot, and even in our conversations that you and Mich- me, you and Michelle have, uh, you use the example of like Uber uh, and how you know it completely disrupted the, the taxi industry. I, I just love your thoughts on disruption, so maybe you can just give a little bit more about that, and then how LA Golf plays into that. Yeah, and I, I mean, listen, we're early in our journey, and we're you know as Banksy as Banksy would say, we're not a threat to anyone right now. Um, so. Uh, I think, but we still aspire to advance, you know, kind of move the game forward with materials and thoughts, you know, our philosophy and materials. But like, I think disruption is, it's a concept, competition always produces a net positive outcome. Tony Robbins did an interview with this historian the other day where they were talking about the seasons of history and the seasons of life and they uh, they polled 100 historians from every t- walk of life and every political persuasion and 100% of them agreed that the Civil War was a good thing. It produced advancements and progress and it was a great thing. And they're like, well, would you want another Civil War? And 0% said yes, right? So nobody wants disruption but it always yields a better outcome in every industry, in every country, in every society. Um, so competition 
golf for some reason doesn't like it, right? Golf doesn't like competition. Whether it's equipment makers, people take it personally, right? Whether it's, you know, PGA Tour, whatever it is, I think competition is a good thing. So to me, disruption, I am pro-disruption. I'm a believer in the free market. Even when the free market works against me, I applaud success, even if I'm the loser. I, I think the market is really sophisticated, and, and I think if you make a product, whether it's aesthetically pleasing, sometimes people don't need a reason, right? Whether it's aesthetically pleasing or whether it's technologically advanced, um, the marketplace rewards you, and sometimes it's cruel, but I, I, I love competition and disruption because it always yields progress, right? And right now, there's a lot of disruption in the game between the tours, um, just in the golfing world in general. There's a lot of disruption. What net positive do you see will come out of all this disruption right now. Yeah, and I think it's hard when your players or if you're on the PGA Tour, even for some fans, it's confusing. But I think I read a book one time called But What If We're Wrong? And it kind of trains your brain to take a 250-year view of everything. Um, If you take a big-picture view of this, it's going to make golf better. And people will say, well, how is this all this money? Or how does this make – well, I'll give you one example – um, the PGA Tour now has hundreds of millions of new dollars that magically appeared. Uh, it's a 501c3, and yet all of a sudden there's all these hundreds of millions of new dollars that are coming to the players. Um, and and I can tell you that would have never, all caps, bold, underline, never happened had there not been a, com- a competitive threat. Competitive threats make everyone better. Uh, all, all the time, every time. There's never a time where competition doesn't make you better. So I think right now, is it uncomfortable? Is it awkward? You know, people like Rory said the other day, well, I think Phil was right about what he, a lot of what he said, but um, I don't like how he did it. Well, in the grand scheme of things, how someone approached it or how someone says something doesn't matter. History never remembers the tone or how things happen. People, history always judges the outcomes, the net outcomes. And I think the net outcome is golf's going to have more money in it. Golf was the only major sport without revenue share, without collective bargaining, without, you know, and so golf golfers are going to make more money in five years than they did today because of this competition. And I think that's good for everyone. That's just my, but that's my view of capitalism in general. It's not about live or Mm -hmm. any particular league. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Bryson's. We've got one of your uh, player ambassadors, members of the board here to my left, Michelle Wee. You've got Dustin Johnson. And then we've got Bryson DeChambeau, who we had on the pod. Really nice guy. We talked it all about YouTube and how, you know, that's his, no, he, what did the order he put? He said, God, family, golf, YouTube. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> or something like that. Awesome. I was like, all right, lo- love that. Uh, but I mean, he is making a huge push on YouTube and just such a, such an interesting guy. I, I would just love to know what it's like to work with him very closely on his, uh, on his shafts. So I, I view Bryson the same way I view some political candidates or some businesses or some a lot of disruptors. People get hung up on tone and phrasing and delivery when really you have to look at the kind of um, at-bats and say, is this person right over the long term? Did this person turn out to be right, right? Um, and Bryson has been right about a lot. So people will say he sounds cocky, he whatever. I'm like, who, who cares, right? Uh, I, I've been working on a concept um, that I'm now, I guess, announcing now uh, called assholes during COVID that almost everything good in the history of the world came from an asshole. Um, and so I don't really get hung up on tone or delivery. I think Bryson is brilliant. I think he's thoughtful. I think he's analytical, but also artistic. I think YouTube is like a creative outlet for him, um, but he likes to eliminate variables. And 
people say, well, he didn't, he's only won one major. Okay, well, maybe so now, but I think he's on a journey for a perfectly repeatable swing. Uh, and I, I love watching him embark on that journey and he's made us better. Uh, he really has. We, most of our design concepts of our product came from Bryson's brain. And so I, I love listening to him. I love talking to him. And so he's, he's been a great partner. And I also love DJ is the best field player probably other than Tiger to ever play, right? So we had this technical mathematic quant who does calculations about his backswing, you know, every three inches. And then we've got DJ who takes one swing and throws the club <laughs> away and says, I'll never swing that again. And you're like, well, uh, okay. Um, and, and then Michelle obviously has a completely unique perspective just playing her whole life in the, in the women's game and having injuries and all these different things. And so I wouldn't, people ask me all the time, who else are you going after? And I always think like, is there something wrong with me? I'm not going after anybody. I feel like we have like the perfect triumvirate of, of player partners and we get a lot of wisdom and counsel and feedback. And so I, lo I love our partners. How did you and DJ and how did you and Bryson first meet? I know how we first met, but I don't know about the so, other So um, mutual friends. I had just, there was a story that leaked. I think it was on Golf WRX or somewhere. There was a story that leaked. I was trying to buy Foresight and uh, talking about the one that got away. And um a story leaked that the co-founder of Marushi had gone into golf and was partnering with players and looking for opportunities. And Bryson wanted to design his own shaft and said he, he knew he was about to go on a swing journey, and a, you know, an interesting journey, right? And he couldn't have gone on that journey without what we, without the shaft, excuse me, that we designed together. He could not have gone on that journey. And I think that's a, that's a beautiful thing. DJ, we just had mutual friends, and we had dinner at Pebble three or four years ago. And, and uh, after we finished dinner, um, he was like, cool, bro, I'm, I'm in. And, 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 I, and, and obviously, but honestly, it took another year and a half to get him comfortable uh, with the shaft because he has a certain visual in a certain trajectory and he he has a window he wants to hit the ball through and that's it and so it took a long time i'm actually more proud of getting dj our shafts in play with dj than bryson because bryson kind of built his own and we let him we gave him a blank sheet of paper and that was fun and educational our engineer told me he had to go home and get out a college textbook to understand some of the things bryson was asking him but dj you're talking, talking about difficult. I mean, he swings a club, and it's not the flight he wants, and he's like, he throws it down. And it was, it was a year and a half, you know, journey. Yeah. yeah. What surprised you most about Bryson when you started working with him? Um, he's actually really patient. Um, he's particular, but he's actually pretty good at acknowledging when something's the equipment or when it's him, or when it's the swing or the ball or the equipment. He's actually pretty self-aware. Um, I would have thought... He would have been uh, Spethian, and so like it's like I don't ever hit a bad shot, right? It's the camera, a fan, a photographer, or somebody, whatever. Bryson's actually really self-aware and patient, and if he's not swinging well, he'll say, "I don't want to tinker with shafts right now. Uh, I don't want to tinker with the ball right now. My swing's not right." And he he knows it's him, and I, that's actually really admirable, and I think probably surprising to some people. Yeah, I like that. I think yeah, I would not have expected um, that answer. I, would, I thought it would be the other way around. Like we're testing a certain product right now that you were helping us on, and um, Bryson said no for two weeks because his swing wasn't right. And I, I, I like that. I think that's yeah. cool. No, for and you know I know that Bryson was one of the main um, founding components for the putter, and you know starting that journey with him. How mm -hmm. was that? You know, obviously the putter came out. It's truly revolutionary you know, bigger MOI than any other putter scene. Um, can you talk us a little bit about that journey that you and Bryson went through to create this first ever carbon putter? Yeah, it's um, Bryson called me and said, this putter face, uh, the SICK technology, um, 
the descending loft technology that Sick had. He says the best putter face. He said I've tested when a when a golfer tells you they've tested hundreds of putters for hundreds of hours. You would you typically think that's hyperbole, but with Bryson that's literal, <laughs> right? And so I knew he said he said this is the best putter face the industry's ever seen. You should buy this company. And uh, we actually put this story in Golf Magazine, and um, we we we. I moved quickly. That's one of the beauties of being an early stage company and a, and a controlling founder, right? Is that like Mark, like, I'm not to compare myself, but Mark Zuckerberg cut the deal for Instagram on his porch after 30 minutes and his board was like, well, you did what? Right? So I just bought sick, right? And we put their face in a carbon head. Carbon's five times less dense than steel. So it gives you the opportunity to have a much larger sweet spot. Um, most zero handicaps miss the sweet spot over 90% of the time. That matters. Now, for Tiger or Rory, it might not matter. For you, they might hit this. You know, you've seen those video, uh, images of Tiger's sweet spot worn, worn out, right? So maybe, but for an amateur golfer playing at his country club, you think you misread the putt or your caddy misread the putt, you really missed the sweet spot. And so it gave us an opportunity. Then we have a, we have a very transformative putter shaft. There's not a putter shaft like ours on the market because if anyone else tried to make a putter shaft as stable or stiff as ours, it would be hard as a rock and we have patented anti-vibration material. So we have a better shaft, a bigger sweet spot, and then this descending loft face. If you watch the video of a ball coming off a flat face, and uh, we have a little video we're putting out soon that says, do you know why um, every putter ever made uh, has a solid, is made out of solid steel with a flat face? No fucking reason. And, and, and there's no reason. Golf just didn't innovate, right, for 30 years. So if you watch the ball, it skips and skids off the flat putter face. And you can't unsee that. I mean, it's funny because, like, I remember going through, like, putting testing before, right? I mean, I went to all these putting labs, and they're like, the ball's supposed to skip and skid for the first couple. <laughs> and they're like, that's the perfect rule. That it's supposed to do that. So now I'm, like, thinking, wait a second. Actually, like, <laughs> It makes no sense. It makes no sense. Why is a putter supposed to skid? It's an uncontrollable variable. Yeah. Like, but then when I was doing it, everyone was like, that's supposed to do that. Oh, here, good roll. Good one. Here are these six inches that are supposed to do that. Just good job. skid good for skid. six inches. <laughs> good skid on that one. <laughs> it's funny, but that's how most industries are right i mean whether you're talking about electric cars whatever uh, the in incumbents are always going to have a narrative that's convenient to whatever their limitations are but but bryson had an instinct he sat in front of our board and my one of my board members uh you were at this board dinner one of my board members said bryson what's the next best putter face out besides this descending loft face what's the second best and he said there isn't one. <laughs> and so we, he was confident and we, we bet on our, we bet on our partners. So we, we made that move and it's the, I think the most technologically advanced putter out. We got Jack Nichols's former designer to design it. It's a little oversized ahead. It, it's a different look. It's a different acoustic. It's a different feel. It takes some reps to get used to primarily because people aren't used to hitting the sweet spot uh, and the, and the ball rolls so much sooner. It actually cuts your break. Right, so it takes yeah. a little getting used to. I remember you mentioned that. Yeah, that was the first thing I remember when I tested. I was what like, do you mean, cut your break? Yeah, so like, let's say on like a left to right putt, um, you know, you would aim a cup out. When I was first testing the putt, I was like, whoa, I'm hitting everything on the high side. It was literally cutting the break in half. Like if yeah. it was a if it was a cup read, it'd be like a half a cup. Yeah. And why is that? Is that because it rolls it's sooner? More yeah, pure. more true. You know? It rolls more true. Six inches. Yeah. Yeah. No, no six inches. I, I can't wait till you guys see the video we're gonna put out showing. A, a popular brand putter and the ball skidding and then rolling and then ours rolls about 50% sooner. So mentioning videos and tying in your company playbook because you kind of did this with Marucci and sort of poking at Louisville Slugger mm -hmm. or Easton. Um, you give Scotty Cameron a lot of shit. 
um, through your commercials, and it's funny, and and in your in your ads in magazines, uh, talk us through. Wait, you're talking about Scott E. Scott it has yeah, nothing Scott to do with Scotty e. Cameron. Oh right, sorry, <laughs> sorry, yeah, Scott E. Um, and just talk us through how that uh, sort of campaign yeah. came to be. No, first of all. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Scotty Cameron. I have a Scotty Cameron that I use for years. It's in my office. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the brand and the putter. Uh, it's, they're beautiful. Uh, second of all, Scotty Cameron's the number one put, premium putter on the market by far, period. Um, he's the, the legacy incumbent, right? Number three, it's kind of natural to, if, you're a con, if you believe in contrast marketing the way I do, it's kind of natural to go against the number one, right? It's, it's just the natural target. Um, if you go back to Taco Bell and McDonald's, Taco Bell wanted a slice of the breakfast market. And so they started poking fun and posting pictures of McDonald's disgusting breakfast sandwiches and that their food was frozen. And I actually don't think McDonald's should have ever responded. McDonald's has 30% of the market and it's a multi-billion dollar business, but they eventually responded and they went back and forth on Twitter. And what's interesting is that Taco Bell ended up building a substantial breakfast business and McDonald's breakfast food got better. Um, and so I think it's just natural when there's a large incumbent. My fourth and final point on Scotty Cameron is um, I, I, I'm pro-success. I root for, like, I love Scotty Cameron. I root for them. Uh, the only brand I've ever rooted against was in baseball. One brand intentionally was cheating, and it created a safety issue because if you made a baseball bat that could not be tampered with, nobody would buy it. But if you made a baseball bat that could be tampered with, you were liable morally and economically for a kid getting killed. And, but they were owned by a big conglomerate, and I guess they did like what the car companies did in the 80s. I guess they just decided the cost of a life was worth what they were making. And it created a, a negative dynamic for everybody, and I still root against that brand. But Scotty Cameron, I root for. I love when I see brands succeed. I have a friend from Bel Air who drove down to Carlsbad and paid like $10,000 for Scotty to paint him a special putter. Still solid steel head, tiny sweet spot, flat face. $5 steel shaft. Like it's nothing, there's no technology in it, but because it was limited edition and a special color, he paid $10,000 for it. That makes me applaud. I don't, that doesn't annoy me, right? I root for Scotty uh, because that means the marketplace. What that tells me is the marketplace can tolerate a $10,000 putter. <laughs> so I'm a big fan. <laughs> <laughs> the ads are so funny. Like if you guys don't follow LA golf on social and just, you'll see it on TV. It's, it's well, if you look at the ads real quickly, um, we basically, you know, he, Scotty didn't, he chose to go down the art route, right? His, his putters are like art, right? And Tiger used them and that's really the story, right? But uh, no advancement or innovation in technology for 30 years. And if you fail to innovate, you kind of, one, he's the biggest, so, so you're the natural target. But two, when you fail to innovate, you, you, you're going to draw a fire, right? And, so, and I think it's fun. Very fun. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> they're, they're, they're pretty funny. Um, I mean, they're like reminiscent of like Apple versus Microsoft. I wrote and directed them, and it was my personal tribute. Steve Jobs is a hero of mine. And I, I, someone sent me this blogger who was criticizing us, and it was like, these are a knockoff of Mac versus PC. I'm like, no. <laughs> like, what? Like, what? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> like, that was my tribute to Steve Jobs. Um, have you had any um, feedback or has anybody from Scotty Cameron reached out to you about them? Not to us directly. I have had a few media publications tell us that people at Tidelist were angry and didn't want to be in a publication if we were in there at the same time and they were like, oh, you know, angry. And I, I, I kind of was like, do you not have something better to do? Like, we're no threat to Titleist right now, right? We're, we're a tiny American-made brand in Anaheim, California, and they're, they have like 80% of the premium market. So I have heard some rumblings, but not, not directly. And listen, if I were them, I wouldn't respond to us. Like, like we're, we're, 
we're a small business, right? We're yeah. just, I'm a kid from a small town just trying to get by. You know? <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> trying to get <laughs> by. Yeah. I mean, that must be kind of flattering, though. I feel like, wait a second, they know about us, A, and B, they care about enough that they don't want to be in the same publication. Right, like, right. it's kind of. It is flattering for yeah. sure. Yeah. All right, Reed. Well, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, considering I bought the name LA Golf on GoDaddy, you know, <laughs> four years ago for 10 bucks, yeah, when you find out that people have any opinion about you at all, I'm like, really? <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> Um, Reed, before we let you go, we got to do five questions for Reed Dickens presented by Five Iron Golf. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. Who would you be most excited to see using an LA Golf product? I'm, I grew up my whole life watching Tiger. Tiger. I don't. I don't have an e- I don't have ego. I'll admit it. I'd love to see him use it. Great answer. Um, what would you like to see change in golf? I think golf takes itself a little too seriously. And um, I, I saw Justin Thomas, I was walking with him one time and he had a fan kicked out just because the fan was obviously gambling on fan duel or whatever and, or something. And, and his ball was rolling towards the bunker and the fan went, yes, when it ran the bunker and he had the guy kicked out and was like, he's harassing me or whatever. And if you look at what other athletes go through in the on deck circle or kicking a field goal or shooting a free throw, I'm like, I, I wish golf would lighten up a little bit because be an athlete, right? Like have fun. The fans are the reason why you make, 20 million a year right and so I, I i wish golf would take itself a little my, my boss used to say take your job seriously but don't take yourself seriously third question what's your favorite golf destination oh wow i actually <laughs> this is not an ad I'm, my, my home club bel air is one of my favorite places in the world but if i'm traveling um i actually love this place um um it, it's i'm going blank on the name um it's 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 in Virginia, the old farm. It's it's an old it's an old kind of a replica of Augusta, and there's cabins and there's nobody there, and you can take. They have a lot of a lot of gambling there, and so that's one of my favorite destinations. Some friends and I go to every other year. <laughs> Not an ad. I wish it was an ad, and you had a discount code for us on Bellar membership. <laughs> that would that be fire. That would be read work on it. You love to play in big money matches. When's the most nervous? I know you don't feel nervous. But when's the most nervous you've ever felt on a golf course? So I had a big match play with a friend. We have it a couple times a year. And um, I and big money's relative, right? I don't play for Charles Barkley, Michael Jordan money, but it's but it's pretty serious. I like for there to be consequences. I don't have the attention span for 18 holes. But I was playing a few months ago with a friend and, uh, at my home course. And I never hit the ball right. And when I say I have two misses, I, I have a I either draw my drive or snap hook. I, I don't hit the ball right for a lot of reasons. And I was spraying the ball right and didn't know why. And I just wanted to cry or, um, I, you know, and so there's this one on the number one handicap hole. There's, there's, you know, OB right. And I thought about hitting a wedge on the, <laughs> off the tee. Yeah. So there, there's certain, that's when I get the most nervous is when I can't figure out what's wrong with my swing. Reed, do you like watching baseball or golf more? Golf every day of the week. I, I think baseball is like watching chess. Um, I, I also think I empathize with golf because, you know, it's like us weekly, like, oh, stars, they're just like us. You you good golfers struggle with the same thing we bad golfers do, and mm-hmm. you occasionally, not as often, but occasionally shank it and occasionally can't get out of the sand and whatever. And so I think with golf, there's just a, an emotional connection with what the player's going through, whereas baseball is a is a – human avatars that are throwing 90, no normal person can throw 97 miles an hour and no normal person can hit a seven. It's, it's like watching chess. It moves slowly and, uh, no normal person could do that. Right. And a normal person in golf might occasionally hit a shot like a pro. Right. And they're like, why am I not right. on tour? <laughs> it's the one in 10 shot. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah. right. Um, well, if you guys have not been to five iron golf yet, 
What are you doing? Honestly, you can golf, practice, and party. It's a high-tech, inclusive, urban golf experience designed for golfers and non-golfers. 14 locations across nine cities from East Coast to West Coast. They're going to have 20 by 2023. Five Iron Golf is for date night, quality time with your friends, or just an awesome corporate happy hour. So make sure you guys check out Five Iron and Golf Mostly listeners get an exclusive discount. Mention Golf Mostly at checkout to get 25% off your next sim rental booking. Reed, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, for, thank you for sponsoring our podcast. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, listen, listen all, all, all joking aside, you guys are two of my favorite humans in the industry. And I, I love, I laugh at all your posts. And Michelle, I've always been a fan of yours. And so this is fun. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Reed. We'll catch up with you again soon. Talk soon. Thanks.